Miss Laura, you're gonna have it easy tonight. Uh oh, uh, there's Hunter though. <laughs> Everything was cool. If you haven't met little Hunter yet, you he's a blessing. You really need to meet him. He will really enlighten you. Amen. That child can talk. I mean, he is hilarious. You really need to meet him. <laughs> Not that Hunter. The new, the new Hunter is who I was talking about. What's Hunter's last name? Hardeman. Hunter Hardeman is who I'm talking about. Everybody's already met the other Hunter. All right. A couple questions for you as we begin this morning, okay? Some really thought-provoking questions for you this morning. Have you ever considered, truly considered, the countless millions of people? I don't know what a million people looks like, look like, but we're talking about millions. Have you ever considered the countless millions of people that are living without Christ Jesus in their lives today? Have you ever thought about them? Ever considered what their lives might be like? I've heard many people say, you know, I just don't know how people live without God in their life. But have you considered those people that don't have God in their life? Another question. Have you considered the thousands? The thousands that will die today without Jesus and therefore be condemned to an eternity of torment and separation from God. At the Lone Cedar Church of Christ, I read their marquee this morning, and I don't know about its accuracy, but it's probably pretty close. But it said that 6,000 people die every hour without Jesus in the world. 6,000 people an hour die without Jesus. That being the case, do you ever think that maybe the efforts of all us Christians and the efforts of all these churches is really having no effect? I confess to you, I have felt that way. It don't even seem like we're making a dent. Do you think maybe, maybe Christians are wasting their time? Maybe Christians are wasting all their effort because it doesn't seem like we're getting anywhere. Do you find the task just too overwhelming? This task of reaching the world for the kingdom of God? Is it too overwhelming? Do you think that the job is just too big? I confess to you. I've thought about that. And on many occasions I've thought, you know, it's just too overwhelming to handle. Well, if you've ever asked these questions like me, today's message is for you. 
Pastor Chuck Swindoll wrote this. He said, Every problem we have is an opportunity to prove God's power. Anybody here got problems in your life? Come on, show me. <laughs> boy, oh boy, look at all those opportunities you have to prove God's power. He went on to say, every single day, we encounter countless golden opportunities brilliantly disguised as insurmountable problems. Wow. You know, in this book, especially the New Testament, Jesus continually taught his followers, his disciples, how to handle life's problems. And he did it by his actions and by his words. He was constantly reminding them, Don't you know who I am? I am God. I am all powerful. Don't you know who I am? He was constantly reminding them, Don't you know what I'm going to do? Haven't you read this book? Don't you know what I'm going to do? Haven't you read the rest of the story yet? He was constantly reminding them of what he wanted them to do so that their lives would have purpose, so that their lives would have meaning. And all this training that they got, all of this knowledge that he poured into their lives, all of this wisdom and problem-solving ability is written down for us in this manual of life we call the Word of God. We have it right here at our disposal. Yet all of us still struggle with these problems. These problems brilliantly dis disguised as heartbreaking and saddening activities. So let's read today as Jesus sheds a little light on what seems to be the overwhelming problem of reaching the world for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Read with me in Matthew chapter 15 and let's begin in verse 29. Jesus departed from there and skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went up on a mountain and sat down there. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and look what he did for them. He healed them. And so the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking. They marveled when they saw the maimed being made whole. They marveled when they saw the lame walking and the blind seeing. And guess what they did? They glorified the God of Israel. Verse 32. Now Jesus called his disciples. Any disciples in here this morning? If you're a disciple, raise your hand. Now Jesus called his disciples. He's calling to you this morning. Let this be a personal message for you. 
He called his disciples to himself and he said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I don't want to send them away hungry lest they faint on their way. Then his disciples said to him, Where could we get enough bread in this wilderness to fill such a great multitude? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven and a few little fish. And so he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fish, gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitude. And so they all ate and were filled. And they took up seven large baskets full of fragments that were left. Now those who ate were 4,000 men. How many? 4,000 men besides the women and children. And he sent away the multitude, got into the boat, and came to the region of Magdala. Let's pray. Lord, we see in this message to your disciples a crystal clear way for us to face this overwhelming, insurmountable problem of reaching this world for your glory. Lord, make it clear to us, I pray, in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Did you first notice there, as we began, that Jesus identifies a problem? Verse 32. Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and he said, I have compassion on the multitude. Why? Here's the reason why. He identifies the problem. Because they now have continued with me three days and they have nothing to eat. And I don't want to send them away hungry lest they faint on their way. So here we have a great multitude, thousands of people, many of which he had already healed from diseases and being maimed and whatnot. And they had been with Jesus for three days, but they had no food. They had no food. They needed to be fed. Now I've got to say here that Jesus must have been some more kind of preacher. Can you imagine keeping 4,000 people, keeping their attention as you preach for three days and them hungry? Man, most preachers today can't preach past 12 noon without stomachs grumbling and stuff like that where we can't even hear the Word of God. Amen? He must have been some more kind of preacher. But Jesus, He had a heart. He had a king-sized heart. Amen? A king-sized heart. And he had it for the multitude. All these that were considered imperfect. These maimed and lame and blind. These who were hurting. These that were struggling. These that were hungry. He had a heart for them. He had a compassion for the regular Joe. You know, when people get tired, when people get hungry, when people get weary... Jesus cares. Jesus cares. He knows what it's like to be hungry. 
He remembered what it was like there in that wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He remembered what it was like to have nothing to eat, being tempted by the devil every time he turned around. He remembered what it's like. Jesus understands what it's like to be hungry. Not only physically, but spiritually as well. Can I tell you, friend, whatever it is you're going through, and we all acknowledge that we have problems, whatever it is that you're going through, Jesus understands. And He cares. No matter how much of a regular Joe you may be. No matter what your needs are. No matter what the needs of your life are, he sympathizes and he cares with a king-sized heart. But friends, would you agree that there are many in our community who are hungry? Here on BMW Day, we're going to feed the hungry tonight. But a lot of them, they got plenty of food already. They get plenty to eat. But they still have this driving hunger that only Jesus can fill. You know what that hunger is like. You've been there before. You know what it's like to hunger for Jesus to mend that broken marriage. You know what it's like to hunger for Jesus to invade the life of your child. You know what it's like to hunger for Jesus in such a way that he would heal your broken heart. You know what it's like. You know what it's like for Jesus to pull you out of that, pen, that pit of sinfulness. You remember what it's like for Jesus to forgive you of the ugliness of your past. I remember what it's like. I remember what it's like to hunger for Jesus to give my life some meaning. I remember what it's like to hunger for Jesus to give me a purpose in this life. I remember what it's like to hunger. Well, friend, that's the problem before us today. There's a whole lot of hungry people out there. So how in the world do we feed all these hungry people? Well, just as Jesus had compassion on this multitude seeking to know him, so also he has compassion on the multitude in our community that don't know him. So what do we begin? We begin right here. And you know that it's not his desire that any should perish. It's his desire that all would be saved. How many? All be saved. So what in the world is he going to do? Well, Jesus instructs us. He instructs his disciples to sacrifice. Look in verse 33. Then his disciples said to him, where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to feed such a great multitude? Isn't that the question we're asking today? 
Where am I going to get all this food, Jesus, to feed all these hungry people? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? How many loaves do you have? And they said seven and a few little fish. The disciples asked Jesus, Lord, where's all this food going to come from? Now, you need to know that these disciples had already seen Jesus feed 5,000 people not very long ago. So they knew that Jesus could do it. They knew he could feed that many. They weren't questioning his power. They weren't questioning the fact that it could be done. The question they asked was this. Where are we going to get enough bread to fill this multitude in the wilderness? I got news for you. Ain't no man could do it. Amen? No man ever had and no man will ever have the power to feed that many people. We ain't, but we ain't dealing with a man now, are we? No, we're dealing with a God-man. The God-man. And I read in his book entitled, The Next Door Savior, where Max Licato said, Jesus was all at one time both man and God. There he was, the single most significant person who ever lived Forget MVP, Max said. He's the entire league. The head of the parade? <laughs> Hardly. No one else even shares the street. Who comes close? Well, humanity's best and brightest is like a cheap suit next to him. Dismiss him? Can't do it. Resist him? Equally as difficult. We need a God-man Savior. You see, if Jesus was just God, he could make us, but he couldn't really understand us. And if Jesus was just a man, well, he could certainly love us, but there ain't a thing he could do to save us. He had to be both. He had to be the God-man Jesus. Near enough to trust, or near enough to touch, but yet close enough to trust. That's a next-door Savior. That's a Savior that's been found by millions and millions of people to be absolutely irresistible. Guess who we're dealing with today? We're dealing with him, the God-man Jesus. We're dealing with the one here who has the power to take bread in his hands, bless it, break it, and multiply it. It's going to take a God-man to do that. You see, whenever we have a problem and we all acknowledge that we have problems, the first thing you need to do is you need to get Jesus into the equation. 
Whenever you got a problem, an insurmountable problem that seems to have no solution at hand, the first thing you got to do is get Jesus into the picture and then you have the solution. The solution to the problem. It don't matter how difficult the problem might be. It don't matter how serious, how life-changing that problem is. If you put Jesus in the middle of it, all of a sudden now, the impossible becomes possible. You try to handle it on your own, the impossible will stay impossible. But plug Jesus in the middle of it and see what happens. So here, in essence, Jesus asks them, what do you have? You got a problem. What do you have to solve the problem? What do you have? Let me rephrase that. What do you have to solve this problem of feeding a hungry multitude? What do you have? You see, doing God's will is a lot about Him using what you have. We already established that everything you've got is His, right? Right? Whether it's material or a gift, a thought, a prayer, it's all His. But we have to be willing to use what we have. All Jesus asked for was what they had. He didn't say, well, guys, you need to go to school and get a degree in bread making. He didn't say, guys, the first thing you need to do is you need to learn how to fish. He didn't say, well, here's what you need to do. I want you to spend 40 days and 40 nights praying about it. What did he say? What do you got? You got a problem. What do you have? All he asked for was what they had. Jesus said, what do you have? The Lord made them confess for the record how incredibly puny their own resources were in comparison to this overwhelming problem set before them. In their case, seven skimpy flat cakes of bread and a few bony fish. They just didn't have much to offer, did they? Have you ever felt that way? I confess to you, I have. Lord, you've called me to do this impossible task of becoming a part of reaching the whole world for you. And you gave me this? You give me this? Really? You ever feel like you just don't have much to offer? Well, let me tell you something. Jesus wants you to be aware of how limited your resources are. He wants you to know how little you have on your own. He wants you to know how limited your resources are. He wants you to know that the only way 
that the miraculous is going to happen is if you give what you got to Jesus. The only way the multitude are going to be fed is if what you have is in the hands of God. That's the only time that a miracle is going to happen. So Jesus asks you today, just like he asked his disciples then, he asks you today, what do you have? What is it that you have? Are you retired? Have maybe a little extra time to help feed someone who's hungry? Jesus says, are you retired and you might have a, a spare, some spare time that you could spare for me? I heard somebody say, I believe it was Brother Harold. He said, I didn't really know what work was until I retired. What about that gift you got? That thing you know how to do. Are you willing to use that gift? What about that passion God gave you? You willing to use that passion? That passion for kids? That gift for building things? What about that special ability? I was so tickled when Tiffany Parsons came up to Brother Hal and said, you know what, I think I can do the bulletin. And let me tell you what, that chick is gifted. Amen? I mean, she totally revamped the whole thing. She took all my ideas and kicked them to the curb, man. And she totally revamped this thing and made it something beautiful. And I think that the bulletin is pretty important. And now, now we don't even think about it anymore. We, we plug in some stuff into the, into the template, send it to her, and it's over. She got it handled now. Now, she's incorporated a little bit of help, hasn't she? <laughs> she got Val and Josh to help her fold them up. But that's awesome. What is that special thing you do? That special ability, that extra hour here, that extra 10 minutes here. What is it that Jesus gave you to use to feed someone who's hungry for him? Because if you got the gift, if you've got the passion, if you've got the ability, Jesus gave it to you and he gave it to you that you might use it to glorify him and feed somebody that's hungry for him. He didn't give it to you for you. He gave it to you for him. So what are you willing to spare to help make the impossible possible? Do you even believe that we can reach this community for Jesus? Who here believes that we can reach this whole community for Jesus. I hope you do, because think about this. He reached you.
And I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. When he reached me, it was a downright miracle. Do you believe that he can reach this community? That's a, a two-part question because the second part of the question is this. If you do believe, and all of you said you did, if you do believe that we can reach this community for Jesus, for the kingdom of God, then do you believe then that it's up to somebody else to do the sacrificing to do it? Is it up to somebody else to sacrifice but not you? We don't like that word sacrifice much, do we? I can testify. But I'm going to tell you this. When you come to Jesus and you give him what you got, when you give him what you got, it may look real puny compared to this overwhelming problem we have in this world. But Jesus wants us to take what we have, put it in his hands, dedicate it to him, and then watch what he does with it. You see, Jesus already knows what you got. He knows how you're wired. He knows how he designed you. He knows what's in your bank account. He knows that passion in your heart. He knows how much time you have. He already knows all that. He's the one that put it there. Amen? He's the one that done it. But he wants you to have the faith to allow him to use it for the glory of God. And sometimes that takes sacrifice. So we have... Jesus here uh, identifying this huge astronomical problem. He knows there are millions either knowingly or unknowingly hungering for what he alone can provide. And then we see Jesus instructing me and you to sacrifice. Sacrifice whatever it takes to give it to him. Whatever we have to sacrifice to give it to the hungry multitudes, we got to do it. We give it to him. He blesses it and breaks it and multiplies it, and he gives it right back to us and says, go give it to him. All he wants is that you will give him what you got, no matter how small it may seem. Just give him what you got. And all this is because of this. Last point and I'm done. All this is because Jesus includes me and you in the solution. This overwhelming problem of reaching the world for Christ is including us in the solution. Verse 35. And so he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and the fish and he gave thanks. He broke them, gave them to the disciples... And the disciples gave it to the multitude. The disciples gave what they had. Seven loaves and a 
couple bony fish. The Lord took them, gave thanks for them, and the Lord took what they had to offer, just like He accepts your gifts. He takes what you, what you have to offer, just like He does your efforts, just like He accepts the best you have right now, and He thanks the Father for what you've given Him. Can I tell you that Jesus give thanks to those who sacrifice what they have? He gives thanks to you for giving what you got. Jesus broke that bread and then he started giving it to the disciples. That must have been a sight to see, amen? Think about it. The Lord kept on breaking and breaking and breaking and breaking and breaking. And there was bread and bread and bread and bread and bread and fish and fish and fish and fish. It just kept on multiplying. Can I tell you, friend, you will be absolutely amazed at what God can do with your limited resources. If you're just willing to give what you got. You will be absolutely amazed what God can do with your limited puny abilities if you'll just give him what you got. If you'll just put them in the hands of Jesus, he can do miraculous things. He'll bless your gift, whatever it is, and he'll multiply it, and he'll multiply it, and he'll multiply it and multiply it and multiply it and multiply it. Over and over again, he'll multiply it. Friends, if we'll just be willing to obey him, we will see a miracle of God. We will see a miracle of God. I haven't seen just a whole lot of miracles in my life. But I want to see a miracle of God. I want to see him take the puny offering that I have and multiply it and bring glory to God because of it. I want to see that miracle. Amen? Don't you? Now, I don't want you to get all excited thinking this is some get-rich-quick scheme or some big way to, to double our, our attendance here at church because it's not. But just look at what Jesus does with what we give him. He basically said, guys, take this bread and give it to the multitude. Give it to those hungry folks out there. Jesus says, I've received what you've given me. No matter how big, no matter how small, I've received what you've given me. I've multiplied what you've given me. Now go give it away. I took what you gave me. Now I'm giving it back to you. Now you go give it away. You go feed the hungry multitudes. Go give it away. I love it that Jesus includes me in the solution of man's greatest problem. You see, we were all created originally for fellowship with God, 
But when that fellowship with God gets broken by sin, there's a void that's left that creates a hunger inside of a man and a woman that only Jesus can fill. And he says, here, go give it to him. Go feed the hungry. So are you part of the solution? I want you to know Jesus wants you to be. He wants you to be. And we're all disciples of Christ here, right? Right? I'm so glad you said that. I led you right down that primrose path. Just suppose this. Suppose you were back on that mountainside in Jesus' day. Suppose you were there to witness this miracle feeding of 4,000 men plus women and children. Suppose you were there. And suppose that while all the other disciples are busy distributing food to this huge crowd, someone casually walks up to you and says, so are you a disciple? You say, yeah, I am. Would his next logical question then be, well, if you're a disciple of Jesus, why aren't you out there feeding the multitude with the rest of them? Friends, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Same Jesus. Never changes. If you're listening, say amen. Is it possible that someone in our community watching the activities of our church, the ministries of our church, might come up to you and ask you if you're a disciple of Jesus, if you're part of this body of Christ at Bethel, then why ain't you out there with the rest of the disciples? Friends, the service that God asks of us is demanding. I can testify, and many of you can too, it can be downright draining. But that's irrelevant. Because we're not supposed to do things in our own strength anyway, are we? We're supposed to do things in the strength of God. If you're down to where you don't think you have any more strength in you to do ministry, you know what I say? Good! You're not supposed to be ministering in your own power anyway. You're supposed to be ministering in the power of God. So at the end of the day, when you're weary and exhausted, and I've been there, come and serve. Come and sacrifice. In the power of God. Let him do it. So many times I think he wants us out of the way anyway. So that he can do what he wants to do. What he does best. And then we'll witness these people who hunger. For that that only Jesus provides. And they'll be satisfied with an abundant life here. And an eternal life there. So I just ask you this morning. Do you hunger for Jesus? Do you hunger for the Lord Jesus? 
You know, there's nothing like the bread that Jesus gives for the hungry soul. And so many people are craving it. Many don't know it. But they're craving that bread that only he provides. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and rose again three days later according to the scriptures. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Are you willing to confess that today? Are you willing to be gloriously and eternally saved today? Maybe you're already a disciple. Maybe you're already a believer. Maybe you're already a follower of Jesus Christ. If so, this is what Jesus is asking you this morning. What do you have that I can multiply for the glory of God? He don't just create you to do nothing. He doesn't just make you without some kind of gift, without some kind of ability, without some kind of, uh, of something. There's purpose in all of our lives. So are you willing to put what you've got, willing to put what you've got in the capable hands of Jesus, who alone can multiply it and feed that hungry multitude? If you're a disciple... Are you out there with the rest of them? Feeding the hungry multitude? Are you out there feeding those who are starving? Absolutely starving for a relationship with God. You've got what it takes. You just have to put it in the right hands. Let him receive it. Thank the Lord for it. And multiply it. And he's going to give it right back to you. For you to give it to the hungry multitude outside these walls. I pray that God's word is spoke to you. So whether it's a decision to become a disciple for the first time. Or to get off the seat. And start being a disciple. I pray that the Lord will speak to you during this decision time. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your word that shows us so clearly how to solve this overwhelming problem of reaching the world for the kingdom of God. All you tell us, Lord, is just to take what you've given us let us put it in your capable hands. You'll do your work on it, whether it be multiplying it, improving it, whatever the case might be, and you'll give it back to us so that we can give it to a starving person that's starving for a relationship with you. Father, I pray that your word has fallen on receptive hearts this morning. And Lord, whatever the change in our life you've chosen, I pray that we would take that first step of faith to make that, that statement, to make that profession that from this day forward, 
Things are getting ready to change around this house. Speak as only you can, Lord, and be glorified in every decision that's made. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.